Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, ladies and gentlemen, here is a man of justice, the captain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very happy to be featuring Broken Heels. Now, that doesn't sound like much fun, but what is fun is this beer and the new trail brewing company out of Williamsport, PA. Broken Heels is a rewardingly delicious, hazy IPA that reminds us that no adventure is without risk. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. And here's some adventures that we give some cheers to right here. Our good friends. First up, we have Celine in Livermore, California. And a big shout out to Natasha in Jacksonville, Alabama. Here's a cheers to Frankenstein the dog who loves listening to TCG in Michigan. That's Dr. Frankenstein. And a big shout out to Derek in Delta, British Columbia. On and last but certainly not least, we have Sarah in Lee's Summit, Missouri. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and they helped us out with this week's beer fun. And for that... We thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, Beer Run. Check out our store page at truecrimegarage.com for new merchandise that we're we're always adding something to the store. And also check us out on podswag.com if you're looking for some fancier merchandise. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. On the morning of Saturday, December 17th, 2011, at 8.51 a.m., a call came in to 911 Emergency Services in Waterville, Maine, a small town of about 16,000 people. 24-year-old Justin DePietro told the operator that his daughter, Ayla Reynolds, was not in her crib that morning. Justin said he had placed the little girl in the crib the night before when putting her to bed for the night. He told the dispatcher that when he woke up and went into her room, she was gone. The dispatcher asked if it was possible that the little girl somehow managed to get out of the crib and could she be hiding somewhere? No, the father assured the dispatcher, adding that he and his sister had already checked the entire house 
He then described for the dispatcher what his daughter looked like and what she was wearing when last seen the night before. The operator finished taking the caller's information and dispatched Waterville police officers to the address of the call, 29 Violet Avenue. And to quote centralmain.com, that call set off a chain of events that eventually grew into the largest criminal investigation in Maine's history. Most of what happened in this investigation has been kept under wraps by the Waterville Police Department and the State Police of Maine. But quite a bit was also leaked. This week's true crime story is a parent's worst nightmare. And this is True Crime Garage. Waterville police logs reflect that two officers were sent to the 29 Violet Avenue house within 10 minutes of the 911 call. Searches of the house for the little girl proved fruitless. She was not under a bed. She was not hiding in a closet or anywhere else that little kids are usually found by police when helping parents look for a little one. Within 90 minutes, the officers were joined by two more Waterville PD officers, two detectives, and three units from the fire department. The search for the little girl was ramping up and quickly. Waterville Police Chief Joe Massey himself was on the scene. But 90 minutes in, and we still don't have any sign of this missing little girl. Let's review the 911 call here, Captain, so that everyone will have a better understanding of the information that the Waterville police are armed with going into this search for Ayla Reynolds. From the transcript, Waterville Communications Center, what's the address of your emergency? It is then communicated via another dispatcher that they are putting through a caller that is reporting a child missing from a residence. After a quick hello, the dispatcher at the Waterville Communications Center asks, how long ago did you see your child? As we said earlier, the caller is 24-year-old Justin DePietro. He is the father of the missing girl, Ayla Reynolds. He answers, When I put her to bed last night, my sister had checked on her, um, woke up this morning, went to her room, and she's not there. Okay, how old is she? 20 months old. So you last saw her last night sometime in the evening. Yeah, I put her to bed at 8 o'clock. I got officers on the way over there. What is your name, sir? And we already know his name. It's Justin DePietro. All right. What was she wearing the last time you saw her? She had on some pajamas. They were green pajamas. Okay. Can you remember the exact time you saw her last or somebody saw her last in the crib? Um, Alicia. So Alicia is Justin DePietro's sister. He says that um, Alicia says, um, Alicia, when was the last time you went in her room last night when you saw her? He's now not talking to the dispatcher captain. He's asking his sister who is in the background and can be heard in the background of the call. Alicia says 10 o'clock. What is a good number for you, sir? He then provides a phone number and the call gets disconnected. Justin very quickly calls back to 911 emergency services and explains that his cell phone died during that call. Okay, says the dispatcher, what is your daughter's name? The daughter's name is Ayla Reynolds. Okay, have you checked all through the house? Is there any way she could have climbed out of her crib? No, ma'am, there is no way she could have got out. There's no way she could have. Then the officers are there. They arrive on the scene and the dispatcher and Justin agree to end the call. So it's a brief 911 call. There is not audio of this call. The police have determined that they're not going to release the audio for this call, but they did release these transcripts that we just went through. This is early in the morning on Saturday, December 17th, 2011. And as we said, the 911 call goes in at 8.51 a.m., we have two officers on the scene within 10 minutes of that 911 call. And then we have more officers, detectives, fire department showing up to help assist in the search for this girl and the police chief as well. They're checking the house, obviously, but 
They're also spreading out and searching the immediate area of this house as well in the area surrounding it. So we know that it's Justin's mother's house, but it seems like only Justin and his sister live there and his girlfriend was spending the night. So as more law enforcement personnel continue to arrive at the scene, we have the state police, the main warden service, two more detectives, and three more officers from Waterville PD all are looking for Ayla Reynolds, who despite the now over two hours of looking in our timeline and all the personnel involved, still, she's not turned up. So searchers spread outside, peeking into dumpsters and trash containers and walking through neighbors' yards, outbuildings, under decks, even going into residents' homes and woods, rivers, streams, and fields, everything you can think of. A tracking dog was unable to locate Ayla's scent to follow any kind of scent trail. Ayla had vanished. Now, according to the Waterville Police Chief Joseph Massey, he released a very brief statement that says, quote, we are approaching almost 24 hours and no one knows where a 20-month little girl is and last seen only in pajamas. Here's the description of Ayla provided by Justin DePietro to the responding officers. Blonde hair with blue eyes, and she was wearing green one-piece pajamas with polka dots and the words Daddy's Princess on them. She was 2 feet 9 inches tall and weighed approximately 30 pounds, and little Ayla had an air cast on her left arm because she had broke the arm three weeks earlier. You started to get into this, Captain, about the living situation, but let's talk about what was going on at the DePietro house on the night that they put her to bed and then Ayla vanished. Mm -hmm. So Justin lived at the house with his mom. His mom's name is Phoebe. She was not at home that night. Justin was home with Ayla, his sister Alicia, who is 23 years old, and his girlfriend Courtney Roberts, who is 24 years old. Courtney, it sounds like, lived in Portland, but was staying there at least on this night. All three of the adults had their little kids with them. So there were six people in the house in total, three adults and their three kids. Justin told investigators that on that Friday night, Ayla was put to bed alone in a separate room on the main level of the home. Justin his girlfriend, and her son slept in the basement that night. The basement of Phoebe DiPietro's home is partially finished and has one bedroom down there, which was where Justin had been staying. And, you know, he's sleeping in the basement overnight. Mm -hmm. Alicia and her small child slept together in a bedroom on the main level where Ayla was in her own room. Justin said on the 911 call that Alicia checked on Ayla around 10 p.m. Then, when Justin checked in on Ayla on Saturday morning, her crib was empty, and this is when he calls the police. So naturally, the police sit down with the adults, and they interview them to figure out what exactly was going on. Meanwhile, they dispatch officers to check in with others who it was thought might, for some reason, have collected Ayla. This would be like her mother, Trista, or her grandparents. So most of the time when you have a kid that is missing, and it's not as simple as, you know, you find the kid at a friend's house playing or they were hiding somewhere, mm -hmm. often it's a custody dispute of some sort. And here we have parents that are separated. They're not together. So that will be an early avenue, a natural early avenue for the investigation. But custody at this time would reside with Justin. That's correct. And it sounds like there was no formal agreement about who has Ayla and when. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into the details of that as well. So let's introduce Ayla's mother and what she was up to. So back to Saturday, December 16th, we know that Justin called 911 at 8.51 a.m. Where was Ayla's mother, Trista? Well, at 10 a.m., 23-year-old Trista Reynolds was asleep. She was a passenger in a vehicle being driven by Robert Fortier. Robert was making the four-hour drive, so a four-hour trip from Portland 
to Machiasport to visit his son, Raymond, who was incarcerated at the Down East Correctional Facility. Trista and Raymond were engaged, so Trista was traveling with the Fortiers to visit her fiancé, their son, in the prison facility there. Robert's phone rang. This is at 10 a.m. It was Ron Reynolds, Trista's dad, calling to tell them that Ayla was missing. So this is when mom finds out that her daughter is missing. So I'm assuming that Justin called Ayla's grandfather to let him know that she was missing. Possibly. My guess would be that Trista may have lived with her parents, and so it could have been a call that was originally directed trying to get a hold of Trista. Right. Because what this phone call is, Captain, is the detectives. It's Ron Reynolds on the on the call, but he's saying, hey, Ayla's missing, and the detectives want to speak with Trista. Mm-hmm. They're going to... So they're on this drive, but they're going to have to turn around now and drive back to Waterville. Well, you bring up a good point. Justin might have never contacted her or her family. They could have been contacted by the detectives. Yeah, and I don't know how much that matters. I mean, Justin's got, if if he's there, his daughter's missing, he's got his own concerns. It may not even been something that he thought about until directed to do so by the detectives. I mean, keep in mind, the police are on the scene within 15 minutes, if we believe his story. Mm-hmm. within 15 minutes of him noticing that she's gone. So everybody's different. Um, some people, once the authorities arrive or once help arrives, they sit back and let help take over. I don't know exactly what went down, but this gives us a good indicator of where Trista was and what was going on with her that morning. And she's not alone, right? Mm-hmm. She's with a group of people traveling in this vehicle. So her whereabouts are pretty much accounted for as far as we can see here. So but, now they're going to go ahead. But they did on the trip pass through Waterville. They passed by Waterville. Yes, that's correct. Now Trista later said that she was in shock at the hearing the news about her baby missing says, quote, I had no words. I didn't know what to say. I was thinking like, am I in a dream right now? It was all just a shock. The only thing I could think about was where the hell was Justin. If he was in the house, this shouldn't have happened. If he was protecting Ayla, this shouldn't have happened. Now, Justin and Trista had never actually been a couple. It was a one-night stand sort of thing, and they were both surprised when Trista ended up getting pregnant. Ayla lived with her mother, Trista, and visited Justin's home at scheduled times, but again, there was no formalized custody agreement between the two parents. It always surprises me that people are surprised after having sex that the result of sex is conceiving a baby. That's what can happen, yeah. yes. That's one of the Shouldn't things that Shouldn't be that, that surprised. In October of 2011, so this is the same year, just two months before Ayla would go missing, Mm-hmm. Trista entered a 10-day rehab program, and during that time, for reasons we will get into in a second, Ayla was with Justin. So daughter's going to go stay with dad while Trista enters this rehab program. Since Trista, since Trista got out of rehab, she lived in Portland with her family with no address of her own. Now, we should point out here that Portland is about 75 miles away from Waterville. When Trista arrived at the Waterville police station on that Saturday, she was interviewed for two hours by Detective David Karen, who was no doubt aware that child of broken marriages or no relationship at all are often the subject of custody disputes and the victims of non-custodial parent abductions. Trista told Karen, the detective, that she had last seen Ayla on November 21st. So this is more than three weeks earlier. She had spoken to her on the phone on December 8th. Now what's even more interesting in that situation is that Trista had filed for custody of Ayla on December 15th, right? We said there was no formalized who gets who when 
version of this parenting and where Ayla is to go. So according to this information, Trista filed for custody of her daughter on December 15th. That's the day before she was missing. She comes up missing. According to Central Maine, quote, Trista Reynolds filed a complaint against DePietro, Justin DePietro, for determination of paternity, paternal rights and responsibilities, and child support, according to documents obtained from the Cumberland County Superior Court in Portland, end quote. When Trista had entered the 10-day rehab program, her mother, Becca, and sister, Jessica, they took Ayla in. But while she was away, Child Welfare Services placed Ayla with Justin, the child's father. Ayla had been living with him for 59 days. So five, nine days when little Ayla vanished. It's very important for, especially a situation like this, where they're not going to get married, they're not in a relationship where you set up boundaries and rules and the custody issues through the court system. Because what it seems to happen is she was obviously in a situation that she wanted to get help and try to get her life back on track. So then she said, okay, well, mom, I'll have my mom and sister watch her. I trust them. And then here comes a a situation where there is no laws in place or no rules in place. And he can then say, look, it's first right or refusal. So he could then take the child there. There's a lot of times where this stuff happens where especially, you know, these fathers that are not that involved, they posture by doing this. Oh, you're not around. So now I'm going to take in uh, my child. And I, I don't even think this is going by what Justin wanted, but more so what his mother wanted him to do. And this seems like a weird situation to me. I, I know this happens all the time. You know, there's a lot of great situations, great parents, kids having wonderful time growing up, situations out there that are similar to this. But what is odd about it to me, something that I just have no experience with, is it's a little weird that you are a parent of this daughter, but the other parent, you don't technically you don't really know them very well now, do you? I mean, there was no real relationship. Right. So it wasn't like they're showing up to family parties yeah, you, or opening up Christmas gifts. You don't know, you know the grandparents that well. You don't know the the father of your daughter's, uh, you, you don't know his friends very well, things like that. It seems a, a very weird for me. It's something I can't really wrap my head around too much. Well, that's why there needs to be more education for women based on their cycles and, and also just, you know, more. Uh, Don't forget about the dumb guys out there. Well, no, that's what I mean. <laughs> and we, you got to, again, we got the a whole, whole idea full that, of dumb guys, the whole idea that we're surprised, you know, was there any birth control use? Uh, did the guy wear a condom? What, why are you so surprised by this pregnancy? I don't know the details of that. Uh, I don't, don't really. Well, I think it's they're surprised because of ignorance and immaturity. So the key thing here, Captain, is little Ayla had been living with Justin DePietro for 59 days when she disappeared. The papers that Trista filed were an attempt to get her back. So Trista told the detectives that she and Justin were not on speaking terms at that point and that he had refused to put Ayla on the phone when Trista called to talk to her daughter on December 11. However, Trista also told ABC News that Justin did not know that she filed the papers that would restrict his access to Ayla Reynolds. So this is very interesting because when you see something like this, and we've seen custody battles in the past and other cases where somebody files something with the court and magically the next day the kids are hard to get a hold of. They vanish, they disappear, or dad took them states away. Mm -hmm. We've seen that before, but we have Trista in her own words saying, look, it's easy to make that leap that, that this happened because I filed these papers. However, he didn't know that I filed these papers. Mm -hmm. So Justin would have been unaware of this information at that time. Again, we're assuming he didn't know or didn't hear through the grapevine. We don't know exactly what her state is at this moment, and I'm talking about the mother, because 
like we said, she entered rehab. She then exited rehab. It didn't seem like she was clean at this point. Again, that's something that I have no knowledge of. Well, that's what I'm saying is I, I, I'm saying if we can assume that she left rehab before the treatment was fully established, we can just assume that she's not completely sober at this point. That's something, again, that I don't know anything about. I don't have any reason or couldn't find any reason to doubt what her belief was that Justin was unaware that she had filed these papers. Right. Now, this is going to, that's pretty much the early part of the interview with Trista and the information that detectives are able to get from her. It seems like they were somewhat comfortable with believing that Trista didn't have anything to do with taking her own daughter from Justin's home. So the search for Ayla continues. So now we need to introduce the FBI card team. You know it's a garage party when they start busting out the acronyms, right? Mm -hmm. So this stands for the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Team, CARD team, which works to recover victims as quickly as possible and helps apprehend those responsible for taking them. A brief history, if you will, here, Captain. The CARD team was created in 2006 and has deployed more than 100 times for approximately 108 victims, both domestically, and when requested, abroad. Numerous children have been located and safely returned to their loved ones. Tragically, the remains of victims have also been found. The 60 or so agents who make up the card team are stationed at field offices around the country. Each is assigned to one of five regional teams that cover the Northeast, Southeast, North Central, South Central, and Western United States and are deployed at the request of a field office. Members of the CARD team are seasoned investigators with experience in crimes against children cases that are often multi-jurisdictional and multi-agency. These are people who have purposely chosen this line of work because they care deeply about the welfare of all children. Well, the fact of the matter is we have police and detectives that show up at the scene of where they claim that this toddler, this 22-month-old child goes missing. There's no sign of her outside of the, the house. There's no, there's no dog that's tracking a scent that leads for, you know, from her crib to outside. And you've talked to both parents. You can't find her anywhere. So now you start wondering who is telling the truth and who is lying to you. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. 
and True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back, party people. To all the people in the back, all the people in the front, put your hands together. Don't the forget kernel. about the dirties in the middle. And the dirties. <laughs> and those dirties in the middle. Cheers to you, Colonel. All right, cheers to you, Captain. So on Sunday, the 18th of December, FBI agents from the Northeast Card Team joined 75 state and local law enforcement officers, as well as neighbors and volunteers in the search for little Ayla. As we mentioned before the break there, the Card Team, these are the seasoned professionals that you want involved looking for your missing child. They conducted a knock and talk canvas of the area, going house to house and asking residents if they had seen anything and also going into the homes, which people would allow them to come in and search their homes. Members of the main warden service searched treacherous outdoor areas that it felt Ayla could have possibly walked to. One area of concern, Captain, was this 
Meselensky Stream, mm-hmm. which was about an eighth of a mile away from the DePietro home. Parts of this stream, which was like a high and fast flowing stream, were drained so that searchers could get a better look at the depths of the waterway. And Police Chief Massey held the first of many press conferences to update members of the public about the search for Ayla Reynolds, saying the FBI and the main warden service had been called in to help the major investigation. He's already referring to this as a major investigation. It was truly all hands-on deck at this point. And we also had two search dogs that sniffed for any sign of the missing toddler, but again, couldn't come up with anything in that area of investigation as well. Investigators said that they were not ruling anything out, but the first imperative obviously was to find Ayla as temperatures in Maine in December at night are generally not survivable by a toddler, of course, for extended periods of time. On the weekend that Ayla went missing, temperatures at night were in the teens and single digits. So this is a big concern for all searching for this little girl. And Ayla did not qualify for an Amber Alert because there was no vehicle or suspect description. This is one thing that I've always been a little weird about. Like, they're they're federal. They're not necessarily requirements. They don't like to use that word. They use more of like suggestions for these Amber alerts, but I don't understand why we just don't use it. Like let's peel back some of the the reasons for not using it and just use it, you know, use it more often. You got a missing kid. Mm -hmm. seems like something you might want to use, but again, we have no suspect. We have no vehicle information to send out to anybody. So they chose not to use it in this situation, but police did, use an automated phone notification system, which called everybody within a square mile of the DePetro home and alerted them that there was a child missing, which gave a description of Ayla. Well, and that makes a lot of sense because you wouldn't expect her to be seen miles and miles away. But again, back to your, back to your Amber alert. If you have an Amber alert to go, Hey, here's a description of this child and somebody's at a gas station and sees somebody uh, with a child that they don't seem either familiar with or maybe the uh, child is crying uncontrollably. It might be something that somebody pays attention to that gives you evidence later. And right now during the investigation, they're doing all the normal things that you would expect with a missing child. You have the, okay, kind of behind the scenes, we're checking into the custody issues between mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Is there any, should we be concerned that a loved one took this girl in a custody battle? So you can see they've already have been working that Avenue. They're also interviewing the three adults that say they were there the night and morning that Ayla went missing. Hold on. It's time for a true crime standard. The cops I feel are doing their due diligence. There you go. But they're also working under the assumption at this point that little Ayla may have wandered off, that somehow she got out of the house Mm -hmm. and made her way somewhere. Another thing investigators did on that Sunday was interview all three of the adults again who were in the DePietro home on the night that Ayla was last seen. This again was Justin, his girlfriend Courtney, and his sister Alicia. Alicia is admittedly, between the three, the last person to see Ayla. This is the information that was provided to 911 during the the initial call. Police said that both of Ayla's parents were cooperating in the search for the girl and any questions that police had. Police also impounded two vehicles belonging to Justin and Courtney, but would not say why. On the Tuesday, the Maine State Police Evidence Response Team truck was seen at the DePietro home. This is like seeing one of those crime scene tech trailers or vans outside of someone's house. I bought one and it sits outside my house permanently. It's empty inside. Yeah, just just like my soul. Grid searches continued and the state police special crime incident command and communications truck were on site at the Waterville City Hall. This was serving as an investigation headquarters. 
Searches also occurred at some locations that were less expected. And this was things like dumpsters, which immediately you get concerned when they're searching dumpsters, and the Champions Fitness Club on Elm Plaza. On December 20th, even though Waterville PD was still labeling Ayla's disappearance as just a missing child case, not an abduction or anything else, Justin DiPietro felt the need to release a statement through the Waterville PD, which read, quote, I will not make accusations or insinuations towards anyone until the police have been able to prove who is responsible for this. Ayla was in my sole custody at the time of her disappearance per agreement between her mother and I because she was unable to care for Ayla. I have shared every piece of information with the police. Contrary to some statements floating around out there, I have been in communication with Ayla's mother over the last couple of weeks. The Waterville police have transcripts of my phone for verification of those communications. It has always been my intention to have a shared parenting agreement with Ayla's mother, and I will continue to work towards that when Ayla is returned to us, end quote. If you recall, Trista had said that she and Justin weren't really on speaking terms. Justin's statement concluded by saying that his family and friends We'll continue to do everything we can to assist in this investigation to get Ayla back home. Mm -hmm. So the searches continued aided by 50 members of the Maine Association for Search and Rescue. But by this point, the search area covered an area five miles wide and two and a half miles deep. But on day five, December 22nd, crime scene tape went up around the DePietro home. And homicide investigators and prosecutors were seen entering the house. The house remained sealed off. And on December 26, police announced that this was no longer a missing child case, but a probable child abduction. Quote, we feel comfortable at this point in our belief that Ayla did not walk away from her home under her own power for several reasons. The physical layout of the home and the steps she would have needed to take to get outside make it very unlikely. We think it would be very, very difficult for her to open the door and get herself out. We don't think she could have gone very far. We also considered her stature. She is a toddler, and although she was walking, her mobility is still developing. We believe that someone was involved in taking her out of the house, and that's where the focus of this investigation has turned. That was from Chief Massey. Well, just to go back to what you're saying about them not being on speaking terms, Trista is going to rehab, leaving her child with her mom and her sister, and then Justin goes, "No, we're not. We're not doing that. My daughter's staying with me. That's why they're not really on speaking terms." And then, because she's a toddler, she has to call Justin and say, "Hey, I would like to speak with my daughter." And and I think also at this point he is. Maybe, and I'm not, this is not very clear, but it seems as if he is letting her father watch the child every now and then. So there's these reports of, you know, oh, she has, you know, bruising on her legs and she has this broken arm. And so there's becomes questions of what the hell is going on at your house mm -hmm. that she's getting all these injuries right and just one like for example when she had all these bruises all over her leg he was like well we went to Chuck E. Cheese or something and she was in a, a ball pit and some stranger kid like was kicking at her or something like that and then they've come to find out that there was no ball pit mm -hmm. so just like these little white lies and his story not adding up to them well, and I find the police chief's statement very interesting here in regards to switching, announcing that we've switched the focus of the investigation from a child who wandered off to a child abduction. And he's simply saying in very short words there that we look, we've looked at the house and given how short this little girl and how small she was, we don't believe she would even have been able to get out of the door. Right. And we can't find anything to show us that she left via window or any other method 
of leaving this house. Well, there's no sign of breaking and entering. Correct. So obviously we can tell by this statement that police do not believe that Ayla being so tiny and having the broken arm would have been able to open any of the doors and walk out of the house under her own power. Massey later said that also because Violet Avenue is very densely populated, it's a residential neighborhood with small houses close to one another, that the police felt that it was very unlikely that Ayla could have gotten out of the house and been wandering around the neighborhood without anyone seeing her. They couldn't find anybody to say that they had seen anything or heard anything that night. So at this point, police received more than 330 tips in the missing child case. 100 of them came in after a $30,000 reward was announced. This was offered up by local businesses, putting together some money, trying to help out, do some good deeds. Police said that they spent 5,000 man hours on the case in the first 11 days. Meanwhile, father, Justin DiPietro, decides, you know what, I should issue a second statement. And this comes out on the 28th. He was refusing to give interviews, but apparently felt the need to explain some things. So he wrote, after thanking all the people working to find his daughter, quote, It is important that the public hear it from me personally that I have no idea what happened to Ayla and that I am not hiding. I would never do anything to hurt my child. The questions of Ayla's arm or bruises or anything else being said are simply ludicrous. I have to believe that Ayla is with somebody and I just want that person to find the courage to do the right thing and find a way to return her safely, even if that means dropping her off at a church or a hospital, or some safe place. And police aren't buying this because they're also saying that the house is so small that they just believe with three adults in the house that somebody would have heard something that night. My only issue with that is that if you take Justin's statements and you believe that any of them are true, he is saying his hunch is if somebody came into the house and took his daughter it would have been somebody that she knew, uh, possibly a family member or somebody connected to her mother. Yes, that's kind of what he's saying there. And you wonder, like, is he very strategically kind of planting that seed to watch the plant start to grow and take root? And and so he can change it at some point into this full-on, full-blown, hey, I think she was involved. Somebody involved with the mom knows what happened here or is responsible for this. And maybe you can answer these because I couldn't find these one, no comments about like, well, we leave the doors open. It's a safe community. So we leave the doors unlocked. So no, no comments that I could find about that. And also we know that they didn't have much of a relationship. So, there'd be no need to be like, you know, where, where, um, where Trista didn't ever live with Justin that, that I could find. So why would she or anybody in her family have like keys to their property? Yeah, that's correct. And there is some talk from police regarding windows and doors that I have here in my notes. And we'll get into that. Some of it's a little confusing though. I'm not going to lie, but From the police statements that we've already reviewed, it seems to be that they are under the impression, which that's all they can go off of. They show up, they interview the three adults that are at the home that night. All three say, hey, we always lock the doors. So they're going to be under the assumption that these doors were in fact locked. Now, the police steadfastly refused to say anything of the status of their investigation. However, they did confirm that they knew where Trista was on the night her daughter vanished, although the police would not clarify. They're simply saying, we know her whereabouts, we know where she was, but they're not saying exactly where that was. Also, they wouldn't say whether there was another child in the same room with Ayla that night, as it had been reported both ways in the national media. Mm -hmm. So think about how scary this story is. That's being pumped out to our nation where they're saying not only 
is this a child abduction? But uh, we think that there was another child sleeping and staying in the same room. Somebody was able to sneak into that room that night, make off with this girl, leaving another child sleeping in that room alone. The other thing that they wouldn't comment on at this time in our timeline was the forensic evidence, if there was any. This would be things such as blood found inside the home. Now, authorities are not making court affidavits filed in this case public. So some of the cases that we've reviewed here, we've got a lot of information from court affidavits that are filed on behalf of the police department investigating certain crimes or cases. And what they're stating here is, Hey media, you're, you're, you're in our way here with this search for this little girl. Don't bother go going, looking for things that we're filing through the court system because we have made that. So you would not be able to view those at this time. This means that they, this could mean that they are onto something and they don't want that information released to the rest of us. They don't want to clue anybody in as to where they're putting their efforts in their investigation at this point. We do know that they were searching the house, the DePetro's garage. They seized the two vehicles from the driveway of the home. So as you can see here, Captain, they're doing a lot of work, but they're keeping everything very close to the vest here. I have another question for you, Billy Goat. Maybe you maybe you were able to find this. What was the distance from Trista's house to Justin's house? Well, the city where she was staying in to the city where he lived, 75 miles. So, but what's interesting is the day that she went missing, we do know that Trista passed through that town before she got a call stating that her daughter was missing. Well, passed through the town is one way of saying it. Yes. The the other thing is driving the freeway and passing the exit and never having stopped off in the, the town itself is another way of saying it as well. Yes. I, I, and I think... That's a better way to say it, I believe. I think, two, I think the two things are completely different and paint a very different picture, right? If you're on the freeway and you just pass the exit, well, that's one thing. But if you got off the freeway, it's there's no need to go through Waterville on your way to uh, your destination. Right. But if you do, well, then things look a lot different. And maybe that seed that Justin was trying to plant is the correct seed uh, and that he has it right the entire time. What you could also see in this case at this time in our timeline via the national media coverage early on is that everyone could see the obvious differences in how each of these parents were handling the situation. Justin is refusing to grant interviews with the media, but on the other hand, Trista, she goes on a media blitz appearing on Nancy Grace, good morning America and other news shows on the 23rd of December. Trista appeared on NBC's today show and said that she blamed Justin for not keeping Ayla safe. On the 29th, she appeared on the Today Show again, asking Justin to please talk to her and tell her what happened. Justin was starting to really look like he was hiding something at this point with her going out and pleading through the media to get some answers from him about what could have happened that night. Yeah, Trista kept claiming, again, how well does she even know Justin? I mean, because they they just had a one-night stand, and then they ended up having a child together. But she claims that she could tell in his eyes that he wanted to tell her something, that he wanted that he had some answers that he wanted to basically confess to her. Well, I don't know if it was pressure or not, but Justin and his mom, Phoebe, and his brother, Lance. Phoebe Buffet sat down with the main morning sentinel and this was to dispel rumors that there was a party. Okay. So there was a rumor going around that there was a big large scale party at the DePetro home on Friday, December 16th. That being the night that Ayla was last seen, they come forward and say, 
there was no party at our house that night. Then in a weird turn of events, Phoebe DiPietro appeared on CNN saying that on the night Ayla vanished, this is one of, there's several weird things in this case. This is one that stands out to me. Phoebe DiPietro is on CNN saying that on the night that Ayla vanished, she did not hear anything happening in her home. The next day, she appeared again on the news network to clarify that she was not actually in the home that night. She was not at home the entire evening, she says. She couldn't have heard anything, obviously, because if we're to believe her, she wasn't even present which seems to go along with what the other three adults were telling investigators from even their early interviews. I look at this thing and I go, okay, this is a bit confusing, but I think it might be a situation where she may have just misspoke or said something in a certain way that she didn't realize until later kind of implied that she was home that night when in fact she wasn't right. Justin also appeared on the today show. And this is where he's stating, you know, I'm here to help in any way I can by coming on this show. It's in hopes of reaching out to the person that does have my daughter to let them know that what you're doing isn't right. You may think what you're doing is right for Ayla, but it's not. You have no right. You are not her parent. She belongs home with her family. On the 6th of January, Justin felt the need to explain Ayla's broken arm, which was, of course, of interest to the general public and I'm sure of interest to the investigators working the case as well. Mm. And he says that that was completely accidental. I would never harm my daughter. He said that he had taken Ayla to a grocery store with him on a rainy night in November. He was carrying her. Remember, she's I mean, she's very small. She's 20 months old. He's carrying her under one arm into the home while carrying groceries in the other arm. And he says, I usually would let her walk, but it was raining out that night and it was dark. So I carried her. He said he walked into the side door of the house and climbed the short stairway to the kitchen area and says, I came up the stairs and slipped. It happened so fast. I don't know exactly how I fell on her, but I fell on her. And Phoebe, his mother, backs up this story saying, I was sitting in the living room with my daughter and we heard a big thump. I immediately went to the kitchen and Ayla was scared. So I so I picked her up. The family said that Ayla was fussy after Justin fell on her, but it was not until well into the next day before they decided that the swelling in her arm warranted a trip to the emergency room. Justin was worried about his daughter, he said, so he left a commercial driver's license course at Lawrence Adult Education in Fairfield. This was a class that he had signed up for. He left that class early and took his daughter to the hospital. DePietro said some people have suggested that he didn't take Ayla to the hospital immediately because he may have been intoxicated at the time. He said that's untrue. I don't know, Captain. I don't know that we have definitive answers here on if this was a accident, if it was something else, if it was anything other than an accident, did he delay taking her to the hospital? I don't know that you can fault somebody in every scenario if they are not quick to take somebody to the hospital, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. how many, I understand that she's a very little girl, but how many of us have rolled an ankle or had an accident and had some type of injury and we don't decide for ourselves for the sake of our own health until 24 hours later, I better get this looked at. I don't know how much blame there is to pass around here. It is certainly something to consider and to look at because look, kids don't go missing every day. And here we have a scenario where we have a very small child who does go missing and she happens to have a cast on her arm at that time. Well, again, I think the big thing here is that law enforcement go from we have a missing child to we have a missing child where we believe foul play is involved.
If you're looking for more True Crime Garage, check out our bonus show on Stitcher Premium. I think you'll love it. It's called Off the Record. We talk about case updates. We get a little silly. I think you'll love it. I checked out the show, and I did love it. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) Join us back here in the garage tomorrow. Until then. Be good, be kind, and don't you dare litter. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 